0: Welcome to Sin City with Nick Meneses and Dane McLean. Live chat about everything cinema. From new releases, iconic films, and plenty more for you movie lovers. Live for CMRU.ca. And now, to the men behind the mic.
1: Welcome back, MRU. Sin City is back, baby. I'm one of your hosts, Nick Manassas.
2: Your co-host, Dan McClain. Thank you guys so much for coming on to the show today. This is going to be so fun.
1: Joined uh, by our game, game film.
2: <laughs> I'm really excited for this. Been waiting for this for a few weeks yeah. now. I apologize for... Being sick two weeks ago, that was not what I would have happened, but we're here now.
1: So, oh, yeah. We're here and now. it might be a bit too late, but happy belated Canada Day. Woohoo. <laughs> That's awesome. <awful. laughs> oh. Nice play! Nice play! Go. <laughs> so, and um, and hello, Spencer again. Uh, so, tell me, um, I've been told that you helped around with uh, the third years at Mount Royal for uh, what was it called? Late night with with the BS. What's that? What was it called?
3: Yeah, it was it was late night with BS. I uh, I went and did stand up on it uh, on one of the episodes. Uh, and uh, another Calgary filmmaker, actually, Matt Waterworth, was the guest that they were interviewing uh, yeah. that episode. So it was uh, it was pretty star-studded for uh, D-list Calgary celebrities, let <laughs> me tell you. It was, it was packed.
0: <laughs> I believe I was hanging around. I believe Chris Campbell was hosting that. Shout out to Big Chris. And, uh, yeah, that was fun. I, you can all view that on uh, like CMRUSCA. I think the talk show and all that stuff, that stuff still is up. Yeah, I believe it's still on YouTube.
3: Which is which yep. is funny because I saw the other day like I wore a suit for some reason. I decided that I was going to wear a suit, uh, and I had never done stand up in a suit, so that was awful. Uh, it <laughs> looks really clunky as I'm talking about inappropriate things.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, Spencer, would you mind telling us uh, some of what what do you do in the the Quarantine International Film Festival, like?
3: Um, So I'm one of the co-founders and I'm also the festival director of the Quarantine International Film Festival. So uh, my partner and I started it basically the day that lockdown happened. Um, And when we started it, we were just kind of uh, we just needed something to do. Uh, We were originally going to only have 10 films because we thought that we were probably just going to have a couple of friends submitting projects and the whole thing blew up and then we had thousands of films from around the world coming in and it uh, became a lot more serious and we had prizes and then we got way more press than we've gotten for anything in our careers creatively combined. So, it, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a pretty fun thing and uh, all the videos are still available on YouTube so people can definitely go check those out because there's awesome. some really, really cool films that got made with no money and on uh, smartphones sometimes and on old VHS cameras and a number of other things it was actually like really cool seeing how people were able to create with what they had and and just kind of you know build off of uh off of the prompts that we gave them and and using whatever they had around their house and the people that were around them they just made some really cool things so
1: Nice, nice.
3: Oh, that sounds great. Amazing. Fantastic.
1: Yeah, definitely. Dave, you could for sure submit your film idea to the Quarantine International Film Festival. That'd be sweet. Yeah,
2: yeah. Absolutely. Hopefully, uh I can produce this in the next month or so. And
3: I, if if your festival's still running, I would absolutely submit to it. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um. We're. Uh. What we are gonna do is probably take a break for a little bit since things are like starting to open back up. Um. And also like. Like it's not like we were getting paid for it, so it was just a lot of work for like for fun, uh, and and so we're we're we did two rounds back to back, and now we're taking a hiatus. Uh, so we're kind of turning the like whole channel and everything into more of like a uh, like filmmakers resource guide basically Uh, and so we're gonna have like some workshops about like you know how to make films on your smartphone and how to you know uh like without any computer like doing all the editing on your phone and everything um and so we're gonna we're gonna start rolling out those sort of workshops in a couple of weeks but we also wanted to like wrap everything up with the second round and just kind of let the buzz die because it was just too much for a while there like it got crazy and then we would also have people that like would take it with way too seriously, and there was no pressure whatsoever with the entire festival, and yet some people would get really mad and start messaging us, and we'd be like, okay, we don't know why you're upset that you didn't get into a for fun festival, like, it's, like, the competition's tough, man, sorry, like.
2: (laughs) That's
3: good, that's awesome,
2: you want competition, That's, that's great. That's good to hear that you guys had success with lots of great films. And, uh, was that, did
3: you host that on like Film Freeway or, uh, what was like? Yeah, so we, we took our submissions through Film Freeway and then we, uh, just ended up doing, like, YouTube uploads. Um So we would have our, like, you know, competition open for about a month, and then we would be, like, we would be going through the films while the submissions were coming in, and, you know, we would basically be, like, uh, starting to work through them as they start rolling in, and so that we would always have a constant number of 40. Um, and then we would make our final decisions, usually about a week after the submissions closed, and then we would, you know, uh Announce who won and upload the videos and and have that all usually on the same day. We would have our announcement and our uploads because uh, then it just helps with like the surprise. Because we live in a world now where you know doing a lot of promotion for a long time doesn't really do anything. You kind of just need to drop something and hope it takes off. And uh, and we got really lucky with that because like our timing with our festival was just impeccable. Like if we had waited like a week, there was like twenty. 20 other film festivals that popped up like a week later oh, and sure. then a week after that there was another 20 but like none of them ended up getting any of the buzz that we got because ours was just like we were first and we were also very transparent about like the size of our team and, and like what we wanted to do. And we were, you know, trying to build a community, not so much just, you know, float our own egos, which I think a lot of, uh, the festivals that ended up popping up kind of did. Uh, and then there was also like a few that just ended up trying to be too big for what the, what, what it needed to be. Like, it needed to be something that was, you know, uh, like i said very community oriented and supportive and there was a few that popped up that suddenly had corporate sponsorship and and you know money on the line and the quality of the films in those weren't any better than the quality in the films in ours so i was like well that's just more proof that like and, you know money doesn't actually mean anything nowadays like
2: <laughs> wow that's interesting to hear yeah is there any way we could uh, check out some of these films? Like,
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so if you go to YouTube, go to the Quarantine International Film Festival YouTube channel. Uh, there's 105 short films um, up there. Um, nice and so that was that those films are comprised of in our first round we did our top 40 official selection and then we did 25 first-time filmmakers um, so the, those 65 films are up and then in our second round we did uh, 40 um, we just did a 40 selection and we didn't do a first-time filmmakers in the second round because it was kind of it was just it was just more work and it, it uh, like didn't need to be that much work so we we uh you know just made sure that we had a good mix of people that were first timers and also seasoned pros and that was the craziest thing like there's a couple of films that were in that that were made by like emmy award winners and like uh you know like people that have had you know feature films and stuff like just everybody got behind it and started creating with their family and it was just really cool to to see that all happen um and it was funny too because there was also so in the first round, our theme was bear or bear, and there was a guy that uh, he basically just went into the woods. He was from Germany. He went to the woods and was just naked and made an experimental film, and it was super <laughs> weird, but it was like, we accepted it into the festival, and that's the one that every news outlet needs to refer to every time. Like, they just they can't not, and <laughs> this dude never got back to us on whether or not, like, he knew he was in the festival. Like, we just sent out the acceptance. His video was already available for download on Film Freeway, so we had downloaded it, we had accepted him to the festival, we had uploaded it, and I don't know if he knows like how famous his own ass is because it's everywhere. (laughs) Like, it's been on CTV, it's been in the New York Observer, like, it's just all over the place. Is this dude's butt.
0: Like... (laughs) (laughs) Wow.
2: that's pretty interesting.
3: <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty wild. <laughs>
2: that's, that's cool. So you have like every every category, every genre.
3: Every oh yeah, category. we we had we had every genre uh we i think our total film like our total country number we had like 60 something countries over yeah. both rounds um the first round it was like 56 the second round we had like 39 countries um but they in the like in the second round there were so many more new countries that hadn't popped up in the first round which was cool um but yeah we got everything we got uh comedy experimental drama uh animation there was quite a few animations that were really cool uh especially in the first round there was a few that like really blew me away um but then the second round uh we didn't have as many animations but we had quite a few more documentaries and that was also really cool because people were able to make documentaries just at home uh you know over like one person used omegle and just like started like randomly chatting with people and just filmed a documentary out of it and i was like That's so, like, creative, like you can't, (laughs) that's something that, like, you know, if you had said five months ago that was going to be a film that I would be interested in watching, I would have said you're crazy, because why would I want to watch some dude trapped in his house talking to strangers on the internet? Like, it just Mm -hmm. wouldn't have been, uh, like, the same, you know, impact, And and it really feels like a lot of the films that were in the festival uh were so special because of that because they were created under such like just extraordinary circumstances um and especially because a lot of people did them completely on their own which is a whole new like level of of achievement because you're you're not only writing it and directing it and uh filming it and editing it but you're also acting in it and it's like that added level of of just being on both sides of the camera and then still having a finished product that looks like it was shot on an Arri with, you know, a $10,000 budget is just amazing. Like it and and it's something that's so uh I guess like it really is a testament to the times in terms of like how far we have come along with technology. You know, like I can do as much with my iPad as you know, I could have done with a DSLR 15 years ago, if That's not true. more because I can just film it on my iPad and then yeah. edit it on my iPad and score it on my iPad like everything else. So yeah. the fact that people are able to do that now, I, I think it's, uh, and I think our festival was like really proof of this. Cause I don't think, there was anything before that was at the same level and the same like standard I would say like even for online film festivals there wasn't anything that was encouraging people to create using anything that they had like you know there was very specific things like short films that were made on smartphones or uh you know eight millimeter film fest but there wasn't really anything that was like use whatever but like you have to use what you have you can't go out and like rent equipment you know um and so i think doing so has shown a lot of people that it, with what with what we have now available to us, there's no excuse not to create. Like, there's no excuse to be like, oh, I'm waiting to make my first short film until, you know, I, I get this uh, this budget or or I need this camera. It's like, no, you can do it with literally anything that you have. And like a few things that I've done, like I, my first short film that I did when I was, at, like, it was, I don't know, I guess I would have been 20. It was a couple of years ago now. Um, but I like filmed it super low budget it was like 200 bucks uh it was just gathering a crew of friends you know and that film ended up getting quite a bit of success it premiered at the comic expo and like it you know got a ton of buzz i won a couple of acting awards for it so like the 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 ability to create is not reliant on money it's reliant on your will to do so and i think that a lot of people now need to start realizing that especially with the industry just collapsing completely um, like you can you can create a YouTube channel and and you know monetize that by making short films and and just doing that consistently and then if people see that you know the amount of people that end up uh, getting careers out of that is insane but the amount of people that actually do it is so low that that's why those people end up getting those careers is because they're constantly doing it they're they're putting out the content they're creating it they're constantly working on that muscle and as soon as you stop working on it it just you start to just take a back seat and that's when that's when people get you know jealous and they have that animosity and and there's no reason for it. Just create cool shit. <laughs> yeah,
2: okay. so really inspiring to hear. Yeah, limitations can really bring out the best in us. I think it's really it's really cool to hear. Mm-hmm.
3: I actually had, uh, I, I wrote a bunch of notes, uh, that I was, because I was preparing for this too. Uh, because I had like five films that were, were Canadian films from KIF that I thought were super cool. And, uh, that I definitely think people should check out. And I have like, I have a couple of reasons for each one. If you did like, if you guys want to like quickly, I can go through that cause I think it'd be cool for people yeah. to check it out. Ooh. Um, love to hear it. Yeah. So, uh, the first one I'm going to shout out is from a first-time filmmaker. Uh, it was uh, called Hello, I'm a Bear, and it was made by Daylin Chase. She was from Grand Prairie, I believe. And her film, it had, like, very much these house hippo vibes. I don't know if you remember the house hippo commercials
0: from yes, back in the day. classic. The, also the a great best... band named House Hippo, unrelated, that have been on oh. CMRU programming.
3: I, I, I know uh, I know one of the, uh, I think it's the bassist in that band. He's oh, like no a comic way. as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of uh, course, of course, he does stand up, that's right. It's yeah, uh, so I, I know him. Uh, but yeah, so this film, Hello, I'm a Bear, it's very much that, that, that vibe. The whole thing is narrated from this bear's perspective, and it's a paper cutout bear, and she animated the entire thing over live action. So like, it's it's stop go animation and she animated the whole thing and it's this bear like helping its owner deal with depression because the bear is like oh this person hasn't been out of the house in a few days it must be sad and it's maybe the sweetest thing I've ever seen it was like probably three people that were involved with the crew in total like including the soundtrack Um, and it was just it was one of those films where I watched it and went uh, that was somebody that was using what they had but they did it in a way that was very unique and i think putting it in the perspective of a bear made it very digestible for such a serious topic as you know depression especially when you're stuck in lockdown during a pandemic Mm -hmm. um so that was the first one i I definitely wanted to shout out the second one is called cold-blooded and it is from william Poulet. uh he is a french canadian filmmaker and this film uh it ended up winning for best horror film in our first round and there's a reason for it, because he filmed the entire thing by himself. He had one person help him out for one small thing in the film, and I forget what it was right off the top of my head, I can't remember. But uh, there's no dialogue. There's a really intense score, though. And the whole thing was shot on like a VHS-C camera, so like it's got this really cool 4x3 framing, uh, but it's really well lit. It's uh, Like, the lighting in that film, I can't express enough how much I fell in love with it. Uh, He played a lot with timing, and it's actually very funny, too, for how, like, terrifying it is. And he starred in it himself. So he's setting up all these shots and doing it all himself. And it it was executed so, like, just perfectly that if it had been made outside of the pandemic and not for our festival and had like just been made it probably would have gotten into quite a few film festivals around the world just for the fact that it was so unique in how this guy sets up the tension and builds it. Um, uh, so the third film, and this one carries a little bit of nepotism because I've worked with this director before, uh, but it is called Fresh Start. It is by director Seth Williams. He is a Calgary-based filmmaker. He does quite a few mu- uh, music videos. Uh, I've worked with him on a music video called uh, Asylum by Hayoka's Mirror last November, and he made this short film with his partner and his dog. Uh, Seth is an amazing editor, so a lot of what... Uh, works with this film is just his editing. Uh, his editing and his cinematography are, are by far above what a lot of people, uh, I think I think a lot of people don't give him enough credit for that and it really shows in his music videos that he's able to s- tell a story with no dialogue using just really phenomenal shots and cutting them together just perfectly. So this horror film, uh, It doesn't get scary until the very end and it's so worth the build. I'm I'm not going to give it away because it's one of those films that you you just have to watch it. It's only like two minutes, so it's a really, really short watch, but it's definitely worth it. Um, uh, The fourth film is another Calgary filmmaker. Uh, She's an actor and filmmaker. Her name is Kyla Ferrier. uh, And she, in the first round of the festival, did a film called Artist Bears All. Uh, And the entire thing is hilarious. It's this mockumentary about this artist who is just so high on themselves and so self-serving and they think that everything that they're creating is this phenomenal work of art and so they decide to become a bear in order to uh, make their art about bears that much more realistic and that much more grounded and Kyla is a phenomenal actor so she grounded herself so well into this role that is so over the top and ridiculous and it's so much the vibes of like Steve Carell in The Office uh, where it's just so believable because this person is just so over the top uh so that one was my fourth pick and the fifth one is a two-parter because this uh filmmaker got into both rounds of the festival uh with a two-part series so uh the first round was uh because our round was uh bear or bear was the theme uh they did a whole thing about homonyms And it was a silent film, and it was about a brother, uh, two brothers, and the one brother's trying to help the other one study for this, uh, test, and the film is called The Grammar Lesson, uh, and in the second part, uh, after he has failed the test because he mixes up homonyms and, and, uh, Uh, now i'm drawing a blank but he mixes he mixes up what he's supposed to be teaching his brother fails the test uh so the second round our theme was listen to many speak to a few and so their film theme for the second one was completely based off of hamlet uh and they did the grammar lesson infinitive war and it was one of the funniest short films that is completely silent i have ever seen uh because they just he he just went over the top with using his kids as actors, and it was just really cute and really fun to watch. So those are my five Canadian KIF films that I would recommend everybody check out.
1: <laughs> For sure, man. For sure.
0: I love that. There's a true variety, as you're saying, at the film festival. Every one of those movies is different, and I'll, I'll definitely check those out.
3: yeah definitely do and like let me know what you think about them because like i will pass it on to the filmmakers or just shout them out on instagram honestly (laughs) i i I wish more people would do that when they see cool art by indie artists like i i spend a lot of time on instagram just finding shit that i think is cool if it's comedy or films or uh, music and i'm just like i feel like we just need to do that as artists in general emerging or not, I think like it's so beneficial because there's this misconception that everybody is taught as an artist that you're in competition. And I don't think that that's true. I think that in Canada it's slightly more true because you know, you can't make a film unless you get a grant, like you can't make a feature film unless you get a grant, right? Like we don't have studio heads here, so we don't have anybody that's like private investing into a film, but that doesn't mean that you can't still create stuff and find other ways to make make your films, right? And yeah. I think that we need to... Foster an environment that supports all artists because then it just grows the community and it gives Canadian art that much more credibility Because I think that a lot of the stuff that does end up getting funded uh, You know for TV or through the uh, Canadian uh, Media funds, it just kind of all ends up being the same thing And there's not really new voices that get seen in that and I feel like the way to change that is by Just supporting each other and, and showing all of this work to you know groups of people that might not see it because like for instance my uh fan base is going to be different than your fan base so if i shout out your film on instagram or or on facebook or something then even if 10 people from you know my following go and check it out that's still 10 new people that have seen your work that are then possibly going to follow you and come back for more and so it, it just makes sense to do that, and uh, I don't know, it's something that the industry definitely has to consider now that it's kind of crashed. Like, Yeah,
1: of course, for sure, man. And... Uh... <clears throat> speaking of which uh, today's topic Can- Canadian cinema because um, like lately this quarantine I have really been into Canadian films like I've never e- even the small budget ones I've never really been into them until this quarantine I, it was pretty unknown to me but I got some recommendations here from both Dane and Ben like and something that has kept me wondering uh, that I've been saving for this episode was what makes a canadian film well canadian is it the director it's nationality the production company could someone uh please tell me at this time
3: well I- I think that it it depends on, on a couple of factors, right? Because, like, technically speaking, Superman 3 is a Canadian film because it was filmed in Canada and there was a right. large... Like, the percentage of Canadian uh, actors and crew was, like, higher than the American percentage, right? But what I think makes a Canadian film is if... And, and I may be, uh, you know crazy for thinking this, but I think that what makes a Canadian film is having uh, the percentage of actors and everything be higher, and then having oh, (laughs) hey. I think that uh, having the percentage of actors be higher um, and the screenwriter. I think that the director can be Canadian or American, but I think producer is important for it to be Canadian. I think that um, writing is important because even if it's not a story that is punching in maple syrup and hockey, if it's a if it's a Canadian writer, they are going to have a Canadian perspective on something. Um, we don't see a lot of Canadian films that are made that aren't punching in a Canadian agenda if they're funded by the Canadian government, which honestly is kind of a shame because that's why these movies do so poorly in the box office, because they, they're they pandering to a group of people that aren't going out to see these movies. Um, uh, and so I think that as long as it is a, can, like as long as it's Canadian writers, it's, uh, yeah. you know, the, the cast is Canadian, uh, the crew is Canadian, um, Like, if you have one or two of those things isn't Canadian, it's not a big deal. Like I said, director, I feel like that can be either or. They're taking the words of somebody who is Canadian and they're directing Canadian actors. So that would make a huge difference to me.
0: And to your point, like we were going to make this list of like top Canadian movies, and one of mine was Take This Waltz, which the cast of that you have Seth Rogen, Michelle Williams, Sarah Silverman, but obviously Sarah Pauley wrote and directed it. It's in Toronto. It's about her basically her parents, what she grew up with. So that is Canadian through and through. I mean, great, Seth Rogen's also Canadian, but just then. But even though it is like these big kind of worldwide actors that is is very canadian cinema oh
3: totally just like uh, for instance like Scott Pilgrim versus the World yeah, i would yeah. i would say that is a canadian film because you have how many people behind the scenes like like on a writing and producing level that were canadian but then your lead is also a canadian actor and the entire thing is set in toronto yeah. again like it's it, that is yeah. that is through and through a canadian film again they did have quite a few american big names in it but i think that's a fair trade off because that is still one of the best box office reception Canadian films. Uh, Cause like the three films that I picked for, uh, for my top Canadian films, they're all box office flops, like giant right. box office flops. Uh, and there's no yeah. reason that they should have been because of like all of the, all of the elements were there for them to do good. But, I think that Canadians just don't really care about Canadian film, and and it's uh, it's kind of sad because we we have so much influence from the states and we have so much influence from the UK that we end up overlooking a lot of our own talent, um, and you see it too with like the amount of TV shows that shoot here, uh, like you have you know in Vancouver and Toronto for instance, like when I was in Toronto. Uh, I auditioned for, like, maybe seven Canadian projects the entire year that I was there. Uh, The majority of things that I auditioned for were American films or TV shows that were shooting in Toronto, but saying that they were set in New York or Chicago. So, like, you're not getting, like, an actual Canadian voice heard then, and you're not – like realistically you don't get to see anybody that you'd relate to on screen uh there's a few shows that have been changing that which is dope like uh kim's convenience for instance like that's set in toronto and it's got an all canadian cast and canadian writers and it's telling a very unique perspective on canadian life that has Mm -hmm. not been told before um you know and you see a lot of shows like that that uh like for instance little mosque on the prairie was a cbc show that was on the air for like eight years i don't think anybody watched it but like it was at least again another show that was a very unique canadian voice being told uh that wasn't the typical uh you know da vinci's inquest heartland type thing
0: and I know these shows are getting more attention, which is great too. Like it was like Shits Creek and Letterkenny and both Convenience, like you said, they're like these full-on like Canadian through and through shows. And then like I know like Hulu picked up Convenience, Hulu also picked up Letterkenny and like Pop TV, Shits Creek, and then it got Emmy nominations. So it's just like they're st- they're just they know the work is good, their work and then and all that stuff. And then eventually like. It's it's being seen by a worldwide audience, and I think that's really cool for someone. Of- well, and 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 to add to that too, like uh, for
3: instance, Corner Gas, which has been off the air for like over it's been eleven years now since Corner yeah. Gas was a TV show. Uh, it's been doing huge on Hulu. Like yeah. that show has had such a resurgence, and like the animated series has probably helped it a ton with you know getting more popular. Yes, but oh. it's it's got to have. Done numbers for us to, you know, have that American audience because something that another another thing that Canadian films don't do is we don't have a box office in the U.S. Like we don't have a U.S. release, uh, which is another thing that stunts how well a, a film does because. Yeah, Canada has a population of 36 million people, but probably only 12 million of those people actually live in a city where there is movie theaters, you know? Uh, There's so many people that live in rural areas, like, uh, for instance, uh, Saskatchewan's a province with a million people, but only 500,000 of those live in a city. So, like, that's 500,000 people who don't live in a place where they have access to a movie theater so they they you know only get access to a lot of these films when they're released on streaming services which i mean that begs the question too does you know something like crave or netflix need to put more money into canadian uh productions um Because I think that maybe that would do something that would boost us a ton. Like if they allotted a certain amount of money for, uh, you know, filmmakers in Alberta or in Ontario and Quebec and all these places, if they were all allotted a certain amount of money from one of these production companies and it's like, okay, here's a pool of money apply to create for us and if you get it then you get to create your show with X amount of dollars based on how much money your province was allotted and how many people actually got it that's the budget of your film Um, especially now that we're going to be working with smaller crews for the next who knows how long um like for instance i'm i'm gonna be on set in a like in a week and a half for something and i have to now go through covid orientation training and the hours of of the shoot are so much shorter and you can't come in contact with x amount of people hair and makeup is out the window like there's so many things that are just gone now, that the cost of production has got to be dropping at least in half. Like, it. it like yeah, there's going to be, like, you might have more days because you are now not shooting with a crew of 300 people uh, who one person, their job is just to grab another person coffee, but now that you don't have that on set, like, that's not a thing that you have, that money is now freed up to actually go into production cost.
1: Hmm. <laughs> What are your thoughts on this day? I believe we talked about this on the-
2: Yeah. Well, what I was thinking is, like, um, I've always been really impressed by the Quebec film industry, how the, it seems like the province puts in more money on average than most of the West, I would say. I don't know about Ontario. Maybe it's somewhat similar, but I think... Um, what's interesting about Canadian cinema, like my three, my top three films are all by Quebecois filmmakers. So I, it's kind of an interesting coincidence that I've kind of been researching as to why these movies, I I love these three movies so much and many other honorable mentions, but um, it's really interesting how um, I guess with the, the language difference, right? Like you have um, a totally different culture within Canada that maybe, yeah. maybe because like, you, you know how language, like a a niche market can also end up being a lot more successful if you have like A passionate community behind uh, a film or a project maybe with like Western Canadian films because our culture is so similar to American culture maybe it's hard to differentiate and like get people interested in our sort of like nuances and subtleties of our culture so I've always found it interesting how like French Canadian filmmakers have like an international audience it seems most of the time and like maybe they don't do as well across Canada but they do very well like on a global scale and mm-hmm. people are really interested by like how how unique the culture is in Quebec and maybe that translates really well into what they produce so I think like it I think every promise just needs to put more money into their filmmakers and or into their into their film industry and give more money to filmmakers and I think that is like the only way that independent artists can survive in Alberta and Saskatchewan and Manitoba and the prairies in general right I
3: well and I I agree with that and I also disagree with that and I'll, I'll, I'll explain why so I, I do agree with that because Quebec has such a cool entertainment scene their art scene in general is just like leagues above everywhere else in Canada uh, you have stand-up comedians in uh, Quebec who don't leave Quebec and they make over a hundred thousand dollars a year yeah. um, that's very telling for quite a few reasons. I think the biggest one is they do care about their culture so much. So, you know, having their own voices on screen makes a difference. You know, like they have the Quebec, like basically their their you know their Emmys, uh, is a huge success and it's one of the highest rated things in in uh, in Quebec and it's because. The amount of content that is produced specifically for Quebecois people is so high. And it's so much like, th- there's such a higher percentage. There's so many more people doing it. Um, it just, it does make sense. Now, part of that is because, like, they do invest a lot of the money back into the province for their arts, the for their art scene. And I might be a crazy Albertan by saying this, but I don't necessarily agree with uh you know the the uh, how federal money is dispersed to provinces um, I think that you know it should be based based on how much you are paying into the economy and how much you are uh, contributing to it and that is the percentage that you should get back. Uh, I feel like Quebec definitely has an advantage because. For some reason, we are giving them a lot of money and and like you said, they do have a you know they do have a lot of filmmakers there that are creating really good things, but it's not accessible to the rest of Canada, and so they are contributing to their own economy but not necessarily bringing anything back to the entire country right um, My other point that i that I might disagree on is I don't agree with the arts being funded at all by the government for a couple of reasons. The biggest one is that every time that that is a thing, you see the same people getting funded to create the same thing. Uh, You see it here in Alberta, you see it on a national level, um, the amount of CBC shows that are made by the same writers after they have one season and they flop, uh, the amount of feature films that get funded by telefilm that go nowhere, uh, I don't think that that is a good thing for us to be spending our money on, and I don't actually think that it benefits the economy as a whole, because a lot of these grants aren't necessarily giving people money to pay their crews properly they're giving them money so that that a couple of people can be hired on to give the film more credibility and then the rest of the people are paid you know a $100 a day honorarium to work 12 hour days on someone's passion project so I don't necessarily agree with the arts being funded the other reason I don't agree with it is I find that a lot a lot of times I notice it more with theater than I do with film but Uh, With theater, for instance, in Alberta, uh, specifically in Calgary, there's seven equity—equity is the uh, actra of uh, the theater community—there's seven equity houses in uh, Calgary. Each of those equity houses, their artistic directors make an insane salary each year. Like, it is absolutely astronomical. The actors get paid the base equity rate, or they get paid an honorarium if they are not equity— And they're given exposure dollars, um, and yet these theater companies don't actually bring in an audience, and that's why they need this government funding uh, so badly. And now why I think this is a problem is we're giving money to a failing business the same way that governments are bailing out oil companies when we do that. You know, with uh, with theater specifically, it is definitely – a failing business because if your business model is that a couple of people get paid a lot of money but you're not actually bringing in an audience then you're not your business model is flawed and somewhere around that it needs to change. Um, I think that the arts funding getting cut is going to see us Seeing a lot more emerging theater artists and film artists and people uh, you know, that are creating art, they're going to have to figure out different ways to do it, but they're going to do it in a way that is super accessible, that is going to build an audience, that is going to generate them revenue that they are then collecting themselves. Um, so I think on a, on a personal level, I look at the arts in a very capitalistic way where I go, okay, I want to do this. If this makes me money, great. If it doesn't, I'm not worried about it, but I'm not going to expect that I get X amount of dollars from this. Um, then th- when you do it that way, you start to see what hits. You start to see what people actually want to see. You start to see... Uh, uh, what works in in general with in terms of advertising, in terms of uh, the productions that you're doing, in terms of uh, how you create your art, it starts to really teach you a lot more than if you were just given X amount of money to make something. Um, and another reason is you're going to see a lot of. Uh, a lot of fear of of tipping the boat when arts are funded by the government you don 't want to you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you so you 're not going to call out the government for being you know crappy uh, and I think that that's something that could potentially happen here in Canada, whether we want to accept it or not. Uh, if we go down that road we start might we might start seeing propaganda films being made and uh, i don't necessarily agree with that either, so I think that uh, on a personal level, art shouldn't be funded by the government. Uh, it should be created and sold and you make your income based off that. Now, I'm saying that as a stand up comic that's released a couple of albums and I, I honestly live off of a lot of my, uh, you know, revenue from my album streamings, uh, but in total, I have I have maybe spent a thousand dollars on producing an album in total, so that money that is coming back is all surplus, and so I can see that yes, it is possible to create on a low budget, actually make money off of it, and you don't have to uh, you know get anything else in terms of external revenue to create it so
2: really interesting points, yeah. Yeah, it's a complicated subject, so I think, yeah, I don't know, what what, what do you think will just get uh, Alberta filmmakers, or just, like, Western Canadian filmmakers in general, what, what do you think would get them seen by more people, and what do you think would, um, kind of, how, how do you think we could compete with, like, the the massive powerhouse to the south in the United States like as a local Calgarian filmmaker what 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 do you see as like the way out of that sort of like issue
3: I think that the biggest thing that creators need to do is is create honestly um, and not not be looking at what a trend is and trying to follow it and I I think that that is the biggest thing you see a lot of productions uh especially on an independent level that try to be wes anderson and it's it's like that's a good starting point but if that is your whole style it's not going to work right there is already a wes anderson he is very successful uh so i'm not saying you necessarily have to reinvent the game but you have to find what game you actually work Like, what game you are good at playing. Uh, You can't necessarily, um, you know, you can't necessarily throw out grants right away. Like, I get that there's a lot of people who are creating cool stuff with grant money, but I think that there's also cool stuff that's being created with, you know, Tell a Story Hive, which uh, some people would argue that's a grant, I would argue that's private funding from a network. Um, and I think that you know, if you use things like Storyhive, where you have you you do end up having a budget, uh, and you can you know send that film to festivals, and you can get you know recognition at festivals. Someone might approach you after that and say, "Hey, I really liked that. I actually have." been looking at investing in a film Uh, you can't obviously wait on that but that's a thing that you can do Uh, you could do crowdfunding uh, but if you're doing crowdfunding it should be crowdfunding and not friend funding because that's something that a lot of people I think fall into as well where Uh, You like you see a lot of filmmakers that are emerging, they'll create a crowdfunding campaign and uh, it doesn't go further than their friend circle. And I mean, I'm guilty of that. My first film, I got 200 bucks to make it and it was all basically friend donations. Right. Uh, Like you have to start somewhere. So it's not like that's the end of the world but those are things that you have to definitely consider Um, looking at uh, things that you can do within a budget that you have um, if you want to film a feature film on on, you know $2,000 you can do it it 's nobody 's getting paid for that right away. You can do it. Uh, there are distribution options available now. You can get that on amazon prime and and uh, you know uh, you can get it on iTunes and and you know you can even throw it on YouTube. Uh, so there is options to do these things now um, it 's just the money might not necessarily be there for a while and that 's something that I think uh, a lot of people need to i, I want to say accept but not sound shitty about it, you know like you that's something that I think a lot of emerging creators and and indie filmmakers need to accept is that the money is not going to be there right away, and it might never be there, but you just need to keep doing it, and as long as you are genuine about it, it will find an audience
2: yeah very true very true really interesting stuff yeah i think I think people just need to yeah make. They- Make films that they want to see, and I mean, the more you make something you want to see, the more you're probably going to find like-minded people that, you know, it's, it, it's like the whole thing, I know Ben, you always talk about this, is like, follow like a niche, uh no. follow the niche rather than the the, the broader like appealing to everyone sort of thing. So I think that's really important to remember. And I think it's harder to remember that sometimes when you're like always kind of thinking about finding a mass audience, but it doesn't always translate. Just there's no formula to it. It's really, it's really random. I think a lot of the time, right?
3: Oh, it's totally random. And and I think a lot of it is timing too, because like Mm -hmm. you see a movie come out one year and, uh, The next year, there's like five movies that are just like it because that one did so well. You know, you saw it with like, for instance, like when Judd Apatow was at his like peak, like, you know, 40 year old virgin knocked up super bad. Uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Pineapple Express, like all those movies came out back to back and they were phenomenal. And then, you know, but you saw the wave of other filmmakers trying to emulate that at the same time. Wow. And mm. I think that, you know, you also see it with, like, Kevin Smith. Like, he had so many phenomenal films back in the day. Yeah. Um, the and amount would, of Clerks ripoffs that have existed. <laughs> oh, it's insane. Like, waiting is literally a Clerks ripoff. Oh, it's, my. It's, that is, that's a it is <laughs> It is that. so like specifically that that style and like i i'm guilty of it too i was very inspired by like clerks 2 specifically yeah. is my favorite okay. uh film because you be sure in the in the in the year yeah Love yeah no it's and and uh it's like that that film though was so influential that like yeah. uh when i wrote my first feature film i literally wrote it as like two guys at a crap day at work and it's mm-hmm. like And it's hard to not be compared to uh, Kevin Smith if you do that, because if you center it around work in one day, around a few central characters, every single person that has ever seen a film is going to go, that – reminds me of clerks (laughs) (laughs) but but again that's another example of like he filmed the first clerks on a budget of like twenty thousand dollars yeah like it was and and he filmed it at his work uh everybody was volunteering to do it and it became a huge success uh it's possible to do that and and i think that again his was just timing his was so much timing where like he just he had a very unique voice a very unique sense of writing oh and that's another thing if uh if you're not a screenwriter yourself work with a screenwriter who is very original because like the the thing that is horrible and this is like uh maybe as an actor as well i i would say this but like the amount of times where you read a script and you can see exactly where it's going because you know what filmmaker the screenwriter was inspired by oh, yeah. or they'll put something in the script that says Uh, this character is very much like this character in this film and you go, well, that's just, you just want me to copy that and that doesn't, you know that's not that's not telling a new story then all that like you can you can create any character that you want and you decided to cr- like basically copy a character that has already been made and just insert it into your story which was also copied from a different story so what's yes. what do you actually yeah. want to do do you want to be a creative or do you want to just be you know a movie reviewer cuz like you can do that too <laughs> it's like a
0: tracing of a tracing it's like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And Spencer, about your your previous statement of we have to start somewhere when we as as a filmmaker. Now that you remind me I this reminds me of my favorite, well, the only one I know so far. My favorite Canadian filmmaker. I believe you guys know of Denis Villeneuve. Of course, yeah. Lately I have been Rather intrigued by Denis not just because of his films but also if his his journey in the film industry because he his story it opened the door it showed me the possibilities of my future as a filmmaker here in Canada because like I, I said yesterday I told you this yesterday Dane but um like I I love I love Calgary that's true but the the thing is I don't really see my my future as a filmmaker happened here in calgary so that's why my first thought choice would be in toronto i i think there will be lots of opportunity for me and and for all of us here for for a filmmaker here in canada um your thoughts guys
3: um i i would say honestly like In the world that we live in, it's not necessarily true that you have to be a certain place in order to succeed or be seen (laughs) or to have your voice heard. I think that because uh, I, I personally made the mistake of moving to Toronto way too soon in my career. Um, I, I moved to Toronto and I wasn't a member of the union. Uh, I didn't have any contacts out there. My stand-up career was like just barely, you know, a blip in, in existence. And I had made like three films, right? And I was like, oh, I'm ready to go. And as soon as you get there, though, then the pool is so much bigger there. So it's harder to actually create anything because like there are so many people that in order to, you know, do what you need to do when you're learning as a filmmaker or as a creative where you need to collaborate with people and work on projects for free uh, just so that you get the experience. If you go to a place like Toronto, everybody wants that, but nobody's willing to help each other out in that way. Um, there's a there's there's more of that's where you get into the competition part of it. Like there's there is such a competitive nature in a city like Toronto or Vancouver because everybody is looking for that one small tiny grain that that they all want, and unfortunately, not everybody can have it. Whereas if you're in a place like Calgary. Everybody wants that, but everybody can work together to get that. Um, When you get to a city where they actually have studios and networks, like TV networks, um, it becomes – like it's such a bigger – Uh, pool that you were swimming in and you're not only a small fish you were then at that point a minnow you were a minnow in a pond full of great white sharks and then you know you have to move around and try and get to that that top of the of the ocean but to get there you're dealing with a lot of you know bottom feeders and everything else so I think that in order to get to that point where you're ready to go to Toronto uh, I think that a really good thing to do is to just create as much as you can now and use all the resources that you have here that you already have established because if you do that and you go to Toronto and you have buzz around you you're not a minnow now you're a barracuda so you don't have to worry about fighting off other minnows and bottom feeders and you know squid and everything else in that area you now are a barracuda so you are swimming like just below the great white sharks and you can you can you know, know know compete for food with them instead of trying to compete for food with everybody else um so that's that's kind of my thought on it, and I think that especially in Alberta, it's it's really easy because you can make really cool shit here, and you can use any environment that you want because it's Alberta it's Alberta. We have prairies, we have desert, we have mountains, yeah. we have, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, lakes, we have beaches, we have everything that you could possibly need as a filmmaker yeah. for any setting. We have incredible urban urban settings that are very modern. Like like one thing that I think is cool about Alberta compared to to toronto uh specifically calgary compared to toronto uh toronto's got a lot of old buildings like it is a very historic city uh you come to calgary like i live in a heritage building but it's like one of maybe 20 in the city that were built you know before the 50s uh so everything in calgary looks new it looks fresh and that's so much easier to sell to a u.s market because It doesn't have that old look, and, and especially in a place like Toronto, because Toronto just, it, it, Toronto and, and uh, Eastern Canada in general, it looks like any city that you take out of the UK. Um, you've got houses that are built side by side that are, you know, these tiny little slivers. Uh, so you, you've got this look that is very much European. Whereas in, in Calgary, you have a look that is very American and it's so easy to sell to America. If they're looking at American, you can, you can make a show like Americans hate diversity, but you can make a show as diverse as you want in Calgary. And as long as it looks like it could be an American city and you don't mention Calgary, it'll sell in the States. And that's, and I mean, again, that goes back to what we were talking about with, uh, with, you know, having a Canadian voice, you can have a Canadian voice and never mention Canada in your script at all. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, still going to be that much easier to sell to the States, which, I mean, it's a dumpster fire right now, but honestly it's still the market that we want to sell to because that's 360 million people that we don't have here, yeah. so. I guess also, like, the same argument could be made about...
2: Um, like you said about the jump from Calgary to Toronto or any, any other smaller city in Canada to Toronto, that's kind of the same argument about Canadians wanting to maybe jump to the U S to work like it's the same idea, right? Jumping into uh, a, a pond with bigger fish and you're a much smaller fish whereas if you stay in Canada you are you could be the bigger fish in a smaller pond right so
3: entirely uh, a perfect example of this Uh, it's a com it's a comedian but I think that it it rings true Uh, there's a Canadian comic his name is Ivan Decker Uh, he had done Just for Laps a few times he was in Sirius XM's Next Top Comic Uh, he had a Netflix special he won a Juno for his comedy album he was on Conan he moved to LA, he's doing open mics. Like, they do not care. Like, unless you actually are a huge hit, it is such a bad idea to move to the States, where, like, you have to, you have to be, basically, you have to be a lead. If you're an actor, you have to be a lead on an American TV show or in an American movie. In order to move to the states, um, you have to. Uh, as a filmmaker, you better have won the Cannes Film Festival or Sundance, because nobody's going to take you seriously if you even won TIFF. Like that's, yeah. it's it's such a different pool where if you aren't at that top and you aren't besting the best down there, they don't care. In Canada, it's a little bit different. You do, uh, you have a little bit of leeway because even the people that are at the top don't really make that much money there's in in Canada, you're making art to make art, and so like there's you're you're competing with other people who are making art to meet to make art and so it it comes down to a lot of the times it if you're going through private funders, it's going to come down to what the actual project is and your recent history, not your whole history, whereas I think in the states you you come and do a lot of that where like you know for instance, like Woody Allen still makes a film every year, and like I could not tell you any film after Manhattan that he has made because like i, I and I know i 've seen them i I know the plot of one that I don't remember the name of because they're that forgettable now, but like it it's it's so it there's no cutting people out in the states, whereas in canada it's it is a bit more of a cycle in terms of like new voices get seen a little more frequently. That's not to say they don't still fund the same old voices, but new voices do have an opportunity to be seen here. Mm-hmm. really interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's,
1: it's, it's, it's a bit, um, you go first, Dave. You go first. Oh no, no.
2: My 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 thought kind of ended there, but it's just yeah, it's such a different world too with the internet, right? Like you you can find an audience so much easier than you would have before, just anywhere in the world. So it doesn't matter about your geographic location as much as far as getting views, being seen and heard. But it's all about where the money is, I guess, and I, that's even changing. So like. That that is changing, is, you know, I don't know. So, we'll see what happens. Pretty interesting Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. So, you guys have some lists, I guess. Top three, top three films from Canada.
1: Oh yeah, let's start with our guest. You first, Spencer.
3: Okay, uh, so my top three Canadian films. Uh, I picked comedies because I'm a comedian, and I feel like Canadian comedians, are honestly better than American uh, comedians. We have like a track record of exporting our best talent and they get eaten (laughs) alive down there. Uh, But these are three films that did horribly in the box office as I was doing my research, I found out. But I think are very important because they are Canadian voiced films and they're uh, like incredible works of art. Uh, So the first film is Trailer Park Boys, the movie from 2006. Uh, Now, this is the first uh, Trailer Park Boys movie and it was the one that did the best in the box office. Yeah. It was not canon with the universe. They decided to just scrap it and make it accessible for everybody uh, while still having stuff that, you know, people could relate to if they had watched the show. Um, the plot's pretty simple. It's like any season of the Trailer Park Boys. It starts off, they do a bad crime, they go to jail, they come up with a grand scheme to make a lot of money, oh. it goes poorly, they go to jail. Um, the difference <laughs> with this one is they had just a star studded a like cast of guest actors Mm -hmm. in it like they had Jerry D uh the, who by the way was phenomenal in this movie and I think it was the first thing that I saw him in yeah um, uh, it was didn't also even Reitman also produce it too like, he, that's he did produce it he yeah. produced it and that was one of my notes that I'd written down oh sorry uh, no, 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 that's, no 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 that's okay uh, which is another reason why I'm surprised that it didn't do as well though because like Ivan Reitman is still producing phenomenal films that go places mm-hmm. um, he even produced uh, he was one of the producers of the last Ghostbusters movie um, right. that just got filmed here last summer, uh, which I was not a part of, but some of my friends were, and I'm totally not jealous. Anyways, uh, (laughs) uh, but one of the things that is uh, really cool about this movie, uh, Rob Wells, who plays Ricky in the movie, was actually one of the two screenwriters of it. Um, When they filmed this movie, they kept the mockumentary format, but they did break it for a few transition shots. Um, They had some really cool slow-mo stuff in it, which was just like over-the-top and corny, but totally played well, in the movie. Uh, and the soundtrack in this film is freaking amazing because it's the best Canadian soundtrack out of any <laughs> film. And I will fight anyone on that because you had the Tragically Hip, you had Swollen Members, you had Rush, you had Helix, you had April Wine, you had all these bands that were absolute chart toppers mm-hmm. and did phenomenal. Now, the movie was filmed on a budget of $5 million. It was filmed all in Halifax. But it only grossed $3,868,567 at the box office. So it was about $1.2 million off of breaking even. Uh, now granted it has probably done better with streaming Uh, I wish that they would actually account for streaming dollars in there but uh, they don't Um, now the second film on my list is the 2011 hit Goon oh yeah Right. Now, another amazing Canadian film. Uh, mm-hmm. It was uh, written by Jay Baruchel and Evan Goldberg. And Evan mm-hmm. is known for all those amazing Rogan Apatow films like the Pineapple Express. Just amazing productions. And he also, I just found out today, he directed uh, uh, This is the End. And I didn't know that before. Yep. Um, uh, but... It had an eighty-one percent approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It was filmed on a budget of twelve million dollars, but it only brought in seven million dollars. Which is absolutely <laughs> insane because it actually did have an American release in the box office. Uh, also it was directed by Michael Dowsey, who yes. did Foobar and like I'm complete- gonna mention Foobar. I love FUBAR. Fubar is so incredible. And like the fact that he had taken a movie that had no budget and had turned it into something incredible is shocking that when he had a budget of $12 million, he had studio backing and the movie flopped. Um, now something really crazy about it. It was all filmed in Winnipeg, but it was set in Halifax. Even all of the shots that were of the Harbor were actually of, uh, harbors in Manitoba, which is a really weird little part of Canon, uh, to throw in there now the third movie it's another tv show turned into a movie uh it is the 2014 mega flop corner gas the movie now this movie uh it was, I think, part of the reason that it flopped was because it was made so far after when the show had been uh, yeah. released. Um, it uh, did change some of the writers in in the film. Um, the writers on the Corner Gas movie were Brett Butt, Andrew Carr, who both of those were on the original Corner Gas series, and Andrew Riggett, who is a Calgary local. Actually, uh, he was the creator of Fortunate Son on CBC. Um, so that movie, uh, basically the plot is the entire town of Corner Gas is broke because the mayor decided to invest in Detroit real estate uh, they have no money and everything starts to close down uh, so in order to keep uh, the uh, love of his life Lacey in town Brent decides to buy the bar and enter uh uh dog river into the uh it's like a weird Canada-wide your quaint claim- hometown competition uh and when they show when they show up the whole town is in flames uh hilarity ensues <laughs> um uh, now this one is the uh biggest flop but I don't know if that's necessarily
0: true because it had yeah. TV network funding, as well. I also believe I remember the time like there was part of a Kickstarter campaign with the movie as well. I remember Ed pun posting on his Twitter and stuff like there, there was, was. Like, fun, yeah.
3: So there was there was a Kickstarter campaign. Uh, uh-huh. The government of Canada actually funded. I believe it was. Uh, it was like something like 28% of the entire funding. It was 28% uh, to like 40%, somewhere in there. So it was like a large chunk of the funding that actually came from the Canadian government. Now it was filmed on a budget of eight and a half million dollars and it made $694,210 in the box office. Right. Now, why I think this might be a little bit skewed is because at uh, shortly after it did a uh, very limited theatrical run, which was exclusively in Canada. I remember they, Yeah. Yeah. They had they had like four uh, four screening days in total. Oh. And after those screening days, it was premiered on CTV like on the ctv network and 1.4 million people tuned in for its premiere so if you actually you know equated that like 1.4 million people say even a million people only went to the film uh that would have been a million people times 20 dollars yeah the film would have broken even and made a profit um but i think also with ad revenue they ended up probably making quite a bit of money
0: and I think you know, it was pretty shortly after like that little like limited engagement with the theaters and people were like, oh, I'm used to watching Corgas on TV. So I'm just going to wait until it just like, you know, that whole thing. Totally.
3: So those were my three Canadian picks. Uh, I wish that I had picked movies that had made money, but I did not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Great picks.
1: Yeah. Some I gotta watch as well. I, I've heard of Goon. I still gotta watch that one too. But still, Pink Ben And now we move on to you, Ben. What's your list?
0: Um, I kind of briefly mentioned this. Uh, Take This Waltz is Sarah Pauli movie, and of a piece with that was the documentary she made uh, the year after called Stories We Tell. Because she released Take This Waltz originally, and just like they thought, like oh, this is a kind of a charming movie and such. But then it ended up she put this, she made this movie about her, her parents as about the. Like, Kind of the relationship between her parents and including the revelation that she was a product of an extramarital affair between her mother and a Montreal producer. And so, abandoned being like watching Take This Waltz, like it kind of was like, Matt, so that's what that movie's really about. Like, that's about her parents. Like, it just no one knew about this revelation at the time. So, like, Take This Waltz really kind of improved in estimation from the documentary. And both are just great on their own. And just, I, I think Sarah Pauly's amazing. And, uh, and then so uh, Foo Bar, for my comedy pick, I love Foo and just we were talking about that last night actually, and just, it just I, I I hang because you could tell for me I hang around with all like punk kids, punk and metal kids, and that it, like they quote that movie to this day, and just it's just it's ingrained in like Calgary, like everything, it just and just I love it. Um, and then finally, the one probably closest to my heart. It's a bit of a left-field choice. It's a documentary, Hitman Hart Wrestling with Shadows, directed by uh, Paul J. Toronto-based, produced by the National Film Board of Canada. It's a documentary that the world the world of wrestling has loomed very large, as documents, was arguably the most controversial moment in pro-wrestling history, known as the Montreal Screwjob, where Bret Hart was legitimately do- double-crossed from losing the WWF title in his home country at Survivor Series 1997 by uh, Vince McMahon. So to go over the contents of what The Screwjob was in this brief amount of time is a fool's errand there's like books just on this event. There's podcasts, there's five hour podcasts just on this. But if you want to get the clearest example though, of a Canadian hero who ranked on the greatest Canadian list, it's the CBC did about uh, 15 years ago, Bret Hart standing up for his values in the corrupt carny world of wrestling. That is why him at Hart Wrestling shows has transcended and lasted as an important documentary that anyone, whether you're a wrestling dork like me or just a normal person can appreciate It's about about the human story first. And also the film documents the Canadian Stampede pay-per-view at Calgary. I said, which I actually attended as a weed lad, which is nice. But and to wrap it up, our favorite movie, *Social Network*, letterboxed. Uh, a user named Joe gives this great description of him in *Heart Wrestling with Shadows*. He calls it the "gimme shelter" of pro wrestling documentaries. An incredible triumph of journalistic access and being at the right place at the right time when history was haphazardly being made. And just whether you're wrestling, or not, it's just it's engaging. It's Canadian. Through and through, got the National Film Board doing it. Just, Ref Hart's Calgary icon. On the greatest wrestler of all time. Best there is. Best there was. Best there ever Well, and to add to that, actually,
3: uh, he was almost in my web series that I did because him and I had the same agent uh, uh, at the time. Yeah, uh, we were we were literally we had written into the short about uh, like we had taken some of his quotes and put them as his lines. So the person who then played him ended up just doing his lines, <laughs> and it looks
0: really weird, but it would have been amazing. That's so great, I love that. Thank <laughs>
2: Fantastic choices.
1: Now we move on to Eade, another Canadian filmmaker. On our mix.
2: <laughs> well, I have so many honorable mentions; it's not even funny. Like it, it was so hard to condense this to top three, but I'll name off a few honorable mentions and I'll go three to one. So I have honorable mentions: My Winnipeg, uh, Room, Scott Pilgrim Versus the World, which is an interesting one. Like you mentioned, Spencer, it's kind of like a murky one where it's like it's like. Not a, it's not a Canadian production, but it features Canadian actors, it's set in Toronto. I, I consider it Canadian. It's like, y- you see the Canadian culture in it, I, I think we've adopted it as our own, so it's, I think it, it's clearly Canadian. It doesn't say it on Wikipedia, but you can't trust Wikipedia with everything. Um, mm-hmm. Incendies, Video uh, Videodrome. Uh, that's a throwback. That's from nineteen, what nineteen eighty, I think. Cronenberg. Cronenberg. Uh, uh, Fubar of course, you have to mention Fubar. Um Brooklyn, Mister Nobody. Brooke, or I just said Brooklyn. Uh, Life of Pi. I was actually surprised when I re- realized that was a Canadian movie. I didn't, I didn't realize it. It's a
1: Canadian movie. I didn't um, know. It
2: is. That. Yeah, it was uh, shot in Montreal, I think, and I, I think it's it's co-produced. It's a co-produced Canadian film. I think there is american company involved in it though uh but yeah i consider co-productions to still be Canadian anyway going three of one so i've got number three uh 2014's mommy xavier dolan his i don't know which where this was in his filmography but he's 26 years old when he made it and it's, it's a beautiful film like it's it's all about a uh, troubled teenager that you know he's this violent this terrible kid it uh really depicts this, this mother-son relationship and it's it's heartbreaking it's scary it's hilarious it's, it has like every element of a of a good film and the aspect ratio is really interesting i've never seen another film do this how it's like a one one by one film ratio or aspect ratio. And uh, I'm not gonna spoil anything, but it does change at some point in kind of the halfway point of the movie, it changes. And I've never seen a film do this midway through. And uh, it really, to the aesthetic of it, how just about this kid, how he feels. And he's like, he's just like kind of claustrophobic in this environment he's growing up in without a dad and without proper guidance and role models. And then once the aspect ratio changes, like, his life kind of gets better and then eventually the aspect ratio goes back to how it was before and it kind of the same pattern of bad behavior continues and it's just a brilliant movie how you know, it was produced and i have no idea what how much money you've brought it oh let's see actually so had a budget of 4.9 million and the box office of the box office it was 13.1 million dollars so pretty successful i think usually is it like you usually want to be like at least twice or three times what you put into it right like for a successful
3: uh like profit at the box
2: office is that normally how you
3: yeah they 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 usually say like it's got to be three times what the budget was because like they have the budget and then they have what they're gonna spend on advertising which is usually going to be half of what the budget was Mm -hmm. so that that ends up being added on and never added on to the actual budget itself so they're they're looking for like at least three times because then you're gonna make basically twice what you made so right
2: yeah and with like advertising marketing costs and everything so pretty successful though and uh, Xavier Dolan he like he funded most of his movies from just like savings he had as a teenager i think he was like a he was a model growing up and he had all this money saved up i think for at least his first film so i don't know if he continued funding it himself or if he relied on any sort of funding from the government i'm not too sure but it's a great movie and it, it seems like it's you know it's it looks like a much more expensive movie than 4.9 million dollars which is still that's a pretty high budget for a canadian film um and i was introduced by uh, introduced by my girlfriend actually um to Xavier dolan and i felt kind of like i felt ashamed i hadn't known him as a canadian and i I had no idea who he was until he introduced him him, and uh showed, showed me i think it was either mommy or or no it was. Florence Anyways, I think that was the first one she showed me. And uh, she's Colombian, and she had seen Xavier Dolan's movies in Colombia, so he's, like, widely widely seen in other parts of the world, but not so much in Canada, which I thought was also pretty interesting that... Uh, yeah, he's such a young, talented filmmaker, but not a whole lot of people know about him. Um, number then... two, I've got Enemy 2013, nickname of my good friend Nick Manessis, Enemy. Uh, <laughs> did he a new... Uh, have you guys seen Enemy?
1: Uh, I
2: did. I have not. Great I have not. <laughs> Awesome movie, like it's it's totally like a David Lynch, Christopher Nolan feeling film. Uh, I think it's based on a novel called The Double, which is how uh, similar it is to the film itself. But uh, it's basically a man. Finds his doppelganger through uh, watching a film. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is the the actor, and this the main main character, and he um, has to hunt down this doppelganger that he thinks is like secretly kind of ruining his life. And it turns out he he's basically it's it it's up to interpretation, but you could either interpret it as like that's him, his other personality, and he's kind of. Uh, maybe has some personality disorder or something. I don't I don't know. There's lots of interpretations of it, but it's it's a, it's an experience. Like it's really you watch it and you you don't know what happened but you, you want to watch it again. And I think I've seen it twice and I still don't fully understand it. But YouTube analysis do help with trying to at least understand some part of it. <laughs> but it's it's an experience. It's it's worth it. Um uh, and then number one I've got the uh, 2012 Lawrence anyways which he made when he was 24 years old which i find to be absolutely insane the level of just uh just the production value it's insane i think i don't know how much money went into it and i don't know how much money it made but i think it was fairly successful it's being often compared to like kubrick is drawn comparisons to wonker wise films and yeah. for a 24 year old canadian to make this is just like i don't know Just it's, it's It's scary because I'm almost born a month and... I have not made my Lawrence Anyways or anything close to a Kubrick or Wong Kar
3: Wai movie. So it's, it's motivational, but it's it's unbelievably beyond his years. Oh, so. sorry, I have to I have to head out. Sorry, guys. No worries. no
1: worries. Um, I also enjoyed Lawrence Anyways as well. In fact, it was my introduction to. Am I pronouncing this right? Javier Dolan. Is that how you pronounce his name?
2: Uh, so the thing is, Zav Xavier Xavier Dolan, but close, very close.
1: My exclamation is that sound. Weird. Yeah, Dolan got it. My first go. Sorry. No um it was my first film my first time seeing the work of Mr. Dolan and I gotta say I was I was actually pretty impressed with this film and I it's also one of the few films I saw that was part of LGBTQ like I don't I don't normally watch LGBTQ films but this one is probably one of the one of the finest I've seen so and thanks to Dave for the recommendation good choice too for your for the top of your list.
2: Oh, thanks, Ben. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. I, there's still so many other films, but, yeah, these are the ones that have really stood out to me the most.
1: My, now, for my list. For my top three Canadian films, all three of them I've watched during quarantine, and two of them were made by Denise Villeneuve. So, again, number three for me would be... On by Denis Villeneuve. Mm-hmm. although one of the one of the first I've seen during quarantine. Like I um, have you seen On uh, Onfundee, uh, Ben?
0: I have not. Great movie. Great well. movie.
1: It's about these these twins, who uh, who receive a will after their mother passes away, and they they learn like all they learn all types of secrets about their mother, while at the same time learning that they have another another sibling that she had another child. It's a like, it's so like such a like emotional experience like a very powerful tale about about bravery like how one woman gave all just so that her two children could could survive and have a happy life ahead of them like just it's just so well done like. I nearly mean, really cried in some in some scenes. It's really, um,
0: wow. I'll definitely check it out. Incredibly
2: deep movie. Uh, scored by Radiohead. Well, not scored by, but they use they use the uh, "You and Whose Army" throughout the movie, and it's, oh, that's a good song. So, yeah, amazing.
0: Are you part? The, you're part of the Radiohead army. Be all I
2: You've got to be, man You've got to be Ride or die for Tom Big Tommy
0: Greenwoods The (laughs) Greenwoods What's your next one, Nick?
1: Uh, My number two Which was also by Denis Villeneuve Polytechnique
0: Mm, I've heard of that one again. Another one I have not seen I haven't Uh, seen yet But I always wanted to
1: that is probably one of the most difficult experiences, films I've ever seen, like very stressful it's about, it's based on a true story, it's about Polytechnique is a school which I believe was in Toronto and somewhere in the in, on December of, of 1997 there was a, a shooting in that school by a, ma- by a man who is an anti-feminist it was just every scene from start to finish is just is just tense, like, mm-hmm. it, and because it could act because this kind of things they actually happened like yes. the real, the realism in the film just unnerved me like, mm-hmm. I just like it was and the whole, whole film was shot in black and white, which also gives it, it makes it a more tense experience as well. Like,
0: yeah that sounds like an important movie to watch reminds me at least when you talk about like gus van Sant's elephant which is kind of a school shooting kind of movie too which it's not a movie like you want to rush to like it's you don't want someone watch it a second time but it's yeah. just it's so well done and just you're glad to have watched it yeah very heavy but
2: very important like uh educational film absolutely everyone should watch and just learn from right yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: but it's more than why it made it here on the second of my list is it's more than just a film about about you know depicting violence but at the end of the day it's it sends out a message about how love can sa- can save others and if we keep trying to show that example it will triumph over hate against those who are well racist misogynistic or bigots yeah that's definitely a definitely relevant message
0: well said Nick.
1: Okay. said thank you.
0: Thank, you. thank you. What's your no you got one more Nick. I'm excited for this third one.
1: Well, before anything the number 1, I have just a few tiny bit honorable mentions like enemy
0: Of course. I mean that'd be a shame if you didn't pick your namesake.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, this is, it's such a great love. Love the two it was also yeah. from start to finish. I'm not gonna go any spoilers to those who didn't see it, but just a fair warning this film is not for arachnophobes. Uh oh, <laughs> yeah, no, scary.
0: Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, creepy be... crawling,
1: mm-hmm, yeah,
2: and yeah, there would be. Nine ones. Sorry, like um, giant ones as big as the CN Tower. Uh, mm-hmm, yeah, is it
0: like eight-legged freaks? Remember that movie with David Arquette, Eight-legged <laughs> freaks. That's not a Canadian movie. <laughs> skip this.
1: And the other honorable mention is of course Lawrence Anyways, which Ooh, was yes. great as well. And now for my number one favorite film, my number one favorite Canadian film we have to go to Room. Not the room, (laughs) just room (laughs) by Lenny Abrahamson. Like, I read, I first read the novel when I was in high school, but and I was, I never got to see the film until this quarantine. And wow, this one was like an emotional, like, punch to the like, it's just, it's so heartwarming from start to finish. Uh, Have you seen it, Ben?
0: i actually have not i know i'm well aware of the movie but i just haven't seen it
1: mm, so feel a bit relevant because most of because this is a definitely good movie to watch during quarantine because most of it is set well in a tiny room yeah on the inside of a house Such. So, like really powerful message, powerful message about love like the others, about how a mother's love can really save, save every, her whole family, her son. I watched this film, oh, the, the second half with my mom, actually. We both cried. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so great. Great. Yeah. great mother-son bonding experience as well.
0: Do you yeah. see Room, Dane? Oh, yeah. Room Dane, yeah. you know Room Tone, your Room Dane. <laughs> like Night Dane, Night, Night Dane. Dane. Welcome to Night Dane. Good podcast.
2: <laughs> yeah, Room is great movie. I love the. I love. Well, I don't love the Room, but it's a great comedy, I guess. But Room is a great drama. It's amazing.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, Room is. Uh, that's. I think it's like shot in Ontario. Um, it's set in the united states which is interesting but it's filmed in canada i think it's a canadian production co-production and yeah uh, uh, i forget the main actress's name Ugh. brie larson brie larson she does an amazing job in it definitely and yeah it, it's it's such an emotional movie <laughs>
1: yeah it's also a powerful message too about about seeing, basically seeing the world for the first time in your life yeah and it's definitely one if you're an avid traveler looking at you dame
2: uh, yeah like you can't help but just kind of relate to how the the boy feels in the movie when he leaves the house for the first time Mm and however long and it's like just looking up at the sky is amazing for him and I mean it's not that extreme for us in quarantine but like you kind of feel that to a certain extent when you leave the house after maybe a week indoors like everything just is more vivid and more beautiful once you've been away from it for a while so I think don't take things for granted exactly yeah yeah
1: and if I if I go a bit deep like I noticed there was just it has like some kind of like good versus evil like notion to the conflict like between the three characters are uh, the mother and the son and the and the well the dad because the, the mother's name is Joy, which is basically, I saw it as an allegory to Mary, because she's the mother of Joy. And the father, or, the, or rather the one who kidnapped her, his name is Old Nick, which is basically a name for the devil. And so basically the way I see it, it's like, it's like a battle between Mary versus the devil fighting for baby Jesus in a way.
0: Oh, wow. Wow.
1: Yeah. Coincidentally, the sun's name also starts with a J, so that helps. So, yeah, yeah. There
0: you go. Yeah. Huh. Oh, that's an interesting, yeah, way to look at it. It's a great list, like everyone's lists. Yeah. Such a such a range, such a. Uh, amazing variety of Canadian mm-hmm. films out there. And- but yeah, it's a range, is just like this very country that we live in, you know?
1: Uh, yeah, I agree. Like, I'm a, much of a beginner in Canadian cinema, but I just, like, there's something different about something that just clicks. Like, they. There's the budget may be low, but they tell very like deep, meaningful, personal stories stories that actually happen to us, like about family, friendship, growing up, trying new things. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's been really an immersive experience.
2: Yeah, that's I think a common theme in Canadian films is um, they're down to earth and they Mm -hmm. tell uh, unconventional stories and um, focus on individuals and just their situations, their, yeah, exactly, like every, everyday things that you, you overlook, but are like critical to our lives. Maybe. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. That's what I love about, uh, Dane cinema.
1: Yeah. And all these were recommended by you, Dane, by the way, thanks also as well. You're welcome, Matt.
2: Actually, yeah. Mommy was one of the films I watched in quarantine, I think, in March. Yeah. So definitely a lot of good things. I also watched Incendies in quarantine. I watched um, Café de Flore. I watched uh, quite a few of these, actually, in quarantine. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And also, another you gotta see. uh, There's one by Denis Villeneuve I've always wanted to see. It's called August 32nd on Earth. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of those or Wow. Or August 23rd, I think. Oh, August 23rd. I'm guessing that that's your birthday, right? How's
2: this? How's this? Oh, is that your birthday? Well, I know it's my birthday, but is it the title of
0: it? I reacted. Is it?
1: Uh, well, if the numbers are backwards, it's 23rd.
0: Uh-huh. I was gonna say if it's 32nd, like, is that like a cool like sci-fi? Like, I know he does he does the sci-fi because 32nd. Not to, I'm yeah. um, no mathematician, but that's not a that's that's a different day. You know that's. No such. There's no 30 second day of the year. so maybe that's like a spin on. I don't know. Yeah, because it's about um, the, the plot
2: in the aftermath of a highway mishap. Photo model Simone decides that conceiving a baby with her best friend philippe is the only way to give her vacant life some meaning. Felipe, not oh. Felipe, Felipe reluctantly agrees with the proviso that they conceive in a desert.
1: Okay. That's right. This was his first Steve in a desert.
0: (laughs) I guess so. Not sanitary. I mean, God bless them. I mean, they're best friends. They wanna she's got no meaning apparently, this vacant life, so let's let's go in the desert.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh wow. Okay. That sounds good though. That sounds good. And this was his first know. film, actually. I Denis Villeneuve. It's got to be good. He's, yeah. He never goes wrong. No, never. Can't wait for Doom 2. Yeah. Oh, and also looks like that's all the time we got left on today's show. Thank you, Spencer, even though you're not here for for coming. Thank you as well, Ben. Dane, for going up? Anytime. Thanks. It was so fun. Thank you so much, Nick. Next week, we'll be discussing the films by A24 with special guest Joe C. Williams. Wow. Until then, I'm Nick Manassas.
0: I'm Dane McLean. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. This I'm guest it. Ben. Thank you for listening. This is CMRU.ca.
1: Live from CMRU.ca. Bye, guys.
0: Bye, guys. Peace and love. Peace and
1: love. Happy Canada Day. Happy Canada Day. Bye. Happy Canada
0: Day.